0: No Welcome to episode 171 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined today by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen hi Courtney hello Ben I normally ask how are you but I feel like that would just get us off on the wrong foot this week let's not let's not
1: get emotional 10-15 seconds into the podcast but hello from the other coast
0: yes the coasts (laughs) are doing okay I think
1: the coasts are feeling blue as they are
0: wore blue went blue feeling blue so (laughs) we'll talk about that later we got a listener question or two actually about that so we will sort of obviously um, we are a show you know primarily and nominally about tenants but also just about our experiences in this world which are shaped by tenants but also by being citizens of the world and whatnot. so we'll obviously get to um electoral fallout uh later in sort of the extended rant feelings part of the show but <laughs> in, the, more in the meantime let's talk about feelings and one man who knows all about feelings is andy murray who is the ATP number one like the top ranked player in the entire world of men's tennis who'd have thunk it Courtney you are the Andy Murray <laughs> expert on this show um it's true it's I guess true. I guess can you sort of uh I guess yeah if you want to you know and, and we have a we have a Andy Murray specific full episode we're gonna do it we were hoping to get out the week EP number one and we just like honestly did not have the wherewithal to try to piece that together <laughs> wasn't week.
1: gonna happen this week you guys we were not going to be editing audio this week.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, just talk through how, what it what it means. What do you think it means to Annie Murray and, and to you as a fan of his and that he finally gets his turn uh, atop the ladder for however – I mean, it might be only for a week, honestly, but he yeah. got it.
1: But he got it. So, and, um, yeah, no. I mean, I think that so much of it is just – a credit to perseverance and I think that you know it's a theme that you see on both the the men's and the women's side of the tour this year in 2016 especially with Andy and obviously you see it on the women's side with with Kerber but you know but, and obviously Andy's a very different situation because he's always been the like the absolute best looking from the outside in to a a group of of players namely you know Roger Rafa and Novak who You know, have have stood in his way. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all those conversations that we've had for years of if, you know, if Andy wasn't in this generation, how many slams would he have had? And, you know, and, and what is it like to be the kind of ultimate loser in the greatest generation? Of, of
0: of men's tennis. Not even loser, just like bridesmaid, I think, more. But that's I mean, what like, I mean, though, yeah. in terms
1: of loser. Like, you know, like, I mean, like, because it's one thing to be, like, the Burdicks and the Songas and, you know, the top ten, the perennial Ferrer. top tenors, yeah, yeah who probably would have won slams. Could have, you know? certainly could have. Yeah, without, you know, if not for the, at minimum, the big three. um, And they would have been there, and they would their legacies would have looked really different, but you're talking about with Andy Murray, somebody who's and, I mean, it really would have been different. Like, for him to be in that generation, I feel like it meant it it, it it was more of a detriment to his career and legacy than to everybody else's. That's
0: why I think he's, like, the ultimate loser in that situation. The stat that um, blew me away is that I think he had spent something like 78 weeks, roughly, in that ballpark. I'm not getting the exact number right. Um, but he had spent, like, 78 weeks at number two in the rankings, Yes. And never been number one before. Yeah. So, I mean, the guy is do whatever you think about big four or big three plus one or whatever there's no denying that and i think maybe this does, maybe him reaching number one at some point does sort of cement his big fouriness or does show that he is he's done everything those guys have done now he won bercy he's won seven different masters titles i mean that is that is joe flacco level elite right there that is so good
1: he has I two mean, gold medals singles yeah. gold medals which neither roger or novak can say that they have and rafa has rafa. one yeah oh, yeah rafa has one but I mean, the other two don't, you know. So yeah, I mean, he's. There will always be that debate as to whether or not he's considered big four or not. It's not a debate that I really care to. That's or sorry, to me, yeah. yeah, it just doesn't really. It, it's an illusory line. I think that we all know that he is. The gap between him and the rest of the field isn't that much narrower than the gap between the other three and the rest of the field. It's just that the gap between him and the the other three for so long has been a bit tough for him to, to close on. And, and it's it's very Murray-esque that, you know, he's he gets to number one in a year that has seen, you know, the other three kind of, for varying reasons, have to take two steps back, you know. And it's not something that we thought we'd say when Novak was doing what he was doing in the first half of the season. But, yeah. ev- you know, ever since the French Open, he's been a different, you know, player. Rafa, obviously, in and out, injury, and, and, and Roger, obviously, shutting down his season. So... You know, it, it, it is very Andy Murray that he gets to this place because of kind of the, the everybody else tripping up a little bit. Um, but there's also no doubt, really, in my mind, having watched him play, particularly since um, since Wimbledon, that he is playing the best tennis. I mean, the level that he's playing, not just like the best tennis of the people who are playing right now, but even if Roger was back in and even if Rafa was back in it, I think Andy's just like a a much better player right now than he used to be. I think people are overlooking that as well. Just like I, X's and O's wise and
0: execution wise, he's like playing so freely. I think if everybody was at their best, I mean, best as allowed by their current age and health conditions, more or less, I think Andy, there's no doubt Andy's top two ahead of ahead of Nadal yeah. and Federer right now. The, the interesting, the bizarre thing about this uh, ascendancy and how... Out of nowhere it's been, it feels like. As much as it's been forever in the making, the actual arrival of it was pretty out of nowhere because nobody expected Djokovic to uh, cede this much ground and give this quarter opening this year in 2016. I mean, Djokovic had a lead of 8,000 points after the French Open. I think it might have been 9,000 even before Rome, maybe, or something like that. There was a, a maybe even a larger gap, but 8,000 points, basically, uh, after Novak won the are French Open. Are these actual
1: points or are these poll projections?
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't okay. Crushing, crushing my my soul here. Uh, Yeah, these these were really reliable polls. I mean, maybe there was like a seventy one percent chance, and you guys should have known all along. uh, But no, uh, there. Yeah, these are real points. And basically, Djokovic Murray gained. Djokovic was roughly at sixteen thousand, and Murray was at eight thousand. And and Murray improved by Murray improved by two thousand points, but Djokovic fell by six thousand. This is more in this year. The story is more about Djokovic falling, and Murray rising. Murray's done everything that it took to um, to to do it, and he's earned it, and he's won a lot. I mean, his his winning streak this fall has been incredible. He couldn't have done anything more than winning all of you know uh, Beijing, Shanghai, Vienna, and Paris. That's an incredible four tournament sweep. Uh, probably the best stretch of tournaments in his career. Um, but at the same time, the reason why he got there. Uh, this soon was because Djokovic ceded ground in a way he hasn't before Djokovic. We talked about this the last time we did a show together. Djokovic had been so automatic for so long. And we took it for granted. And then he stopped in a hurry. And yeah. and Murray really Murray was in the right place at the right time to capitalize on it.
1: Absolutely, and I do think though that when we do talk about no Djokovic seeding ground, we have to give context to that in terms of what he did at this time of the season last year. So, I mean, when you talk about seeding ground, it's because he wasn't able to replicate his bazonkers. Uh, so bazonkers. 2015 season, yeah. right? It, it's so. I mean, you know, it's everything's all relative. Yes, he he dropped points but for to be unable to replicate what was an out of this world performance in 2015 is like no knock on Novak. I mean, he's definitely, you know, dropped more than he should have. You know, you, you expect him to do a little bit better than he has been, but um for him to 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 lose ground, you know, a year after he put together just in one of the most dominant tennis seasons we've we've ever seen. Um. Yeah, I I just wanted to throw my hands up and defend Novak a little bit because it, oh sure yeah he ceded ground but it's because you know he had to start he had established such a, like an aggressive beachhead effectively that yeah. you know he just got pushed back
0: which no, is a and, normal and, course of business and, and Murray's total of being number one at ten thousand something points is a totally n- normal reasonable you know mantle right. for number one we were we were at a point in the WTA in August where it looked like it was one of the lowest point totals ever they're going to be for number one when Serena had barely played any tournaments and was still hanging on to number one. And Kerber was sort of in the driver's seat going at the U.S. Open, but hadn't had that much success. I mean, she had sporadic up and down success and hadn't racked up that many points uh, before the U.S. Open really. So there was going to be a lo- much lower. I mean, that was going to be number one in the 7,000s. And they're not exactly one-to-one points, but they're close enough. And ATP number one is in the 10,000s right now. So Murray, there's no like asterisking at all. It's just, it's just the timing of it. There was no reason to think it could happen this quickly in 2016. Because, yeah, imagine saying, Courtney, like after the French Open, that Djokovic would not be number one at the end of the year. It would seem right. utterly bizarre. You would have to talk that he got injured and was out for the rest of the year or something.
1: Yeah. And he didn't. It would ha- yeah, it would have but... to have been like one of those like act of God sort of things. Like he just the way that he was playing and the way that he just was just so dominant you know like it, it just it didn't even and he cross was so my inevitable mind. yeah exactly he was yeah. just it, he was so reliable and inevitable and it, it just it never even crossed my mind that you know that he wouldn't be able to do what he did last year and, and maybe that's completely unfair and I'm sure that it is unfair but um yeah I mean it just it just goes to show again you know when you you you, you always realize that you take greatness for granted when it's no longer there yeah. And with Novak, I I still think that his 2015 season was so underrated in terms of what he was able to do. And I think that what happened the second half of 2016 kind of reproves that and, and should kind of shine a light on, on just, you know, kind of like with Serena. It should, you know, her inability to kind of even come close to doing what she did last year should not be a failure of this year, but should be like kind of a retrospective celebration of what she was able to pull off last year. Because yeah. um, that that shit is, that shit is hard. <laughs> like, it is, it is it's hard. It's just really hard to win tennis matches all the time. It's not easy.
0: Yeah. And to never, to never lose. And it's been amazing. I mean, short run uh, World Tour Finals, the draw dealt, joke of it, we can get to the draw very briefly here before we get the joke specifically. The draw dealt him a huge, huge win because he got the easiest possible group. Um, he landed in a group with uh, Ronich, who he's never lost to, with Monfils, who he's never lost to, and with Team, who is running completely on fumes. And who he's never lost to, and meanwhile Murray gets stuck with Nishikori, who he lost to at the at the U.S. Open, with, uh, Vavrinka, who won the U.S. Open, and it's dangerous guy, and with Chilich, Chilich, yeah, Chilich, who's won beat him in Cincinnati, and good player, uh, so, Djokovic just based on that might be, might have a chance to sneak out year number one, by the end, but but for Murray, I think it's yeah, it's just sort of an overdue accolade. Um, Andy Roddick used to talk about how he had four career goals that mattered to him. It was winning the U.S. Open, winning Wimbledon, being number one, and winning Davis Cup. And he got three of the four. He never won Wimbledon. He obviously came famously close. But I think with Murray, he's checked all the real boxes in his career at this point. Number one, Wimbledon. who won a slam before Wimbledon, too. Um, Olympic gold, uh, Davis Cup. Uh, I mean, Australia and French Open are kind of like, bonuses out there. I don't think his career is incomplete or, you know, flawed without them. I think he's put together a completely complete career and can be very proud of everything he's done and and should be.
1: And it's funny because if you were to go back to when he won Wimbledon for the first time or even the US Open, but particularly Wimbledon, you know, after that that great summer and, you know, wins Olympic gold and all these sorts of things um, and caps it off, you just kind of sense that even then, the criticisms were always the 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 cloud of criticism over Andy Murray was always going to be that like okay one trick pony right like like yeah okay you won your your Grand Slam at the U.S. Open which is where you won as a junior and you won like Wimbledon which is like the thing that you were like born to do and you did right. that and and you're done like you know like this is all you needed to do was literally to win Wimbledon and and you got the gold the gold medal for Britain so that's like a bonus but like. He kind of he kind of could have been done then.
0: And, yeah, and, and I think it was totally fair to think he might be. I mean, he took three full years before his next slam. Yeah, at Wimbledon this year.
1: So, that, so you know, you, it it is kind of remarkable to sit now, even if the, it's only one week that he's number one. But to sit now and just to think, yeah, I mean, this guy has had like, in retrospect, a ridiculously complete career. You know, like he French Open final. I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable actually and and you know as somebody who's been a fan for a very long time and and wants good things for Andy Murray um it's not something necessarily that I'd ever thought would have happened I thought maybe Wimbledon and that was about it um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but a lot of that was also just because of not be- some of it was because of him I honestly and one of the things that's actually really impressive about the number one thing is that I never really thought that Andy Murray could play this type of consistent tennis that he's currently put on display. You know, when you talk about the the, the sweep of tournaments heading into to Paris and or into uh, London and all these things, like I didn't really think that it was doable for him. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's impressive.
0: One thing that would be very cool. Um, one thing that I really think is I've always sort of tracked more than most people maybe is this sort of uh, career, the master slam thing, which is. No one has achieved yet, and and Murray is now you know right there in that race to w- be the first one to win all nine. What's he need? I mean, Monte Carlo, he, he, Monte Carlo, and Indian Wells. Indian that's he's Wells, missing. that's it. So he's got seven of the nine. Um, that's crazy. He's, he's done well in Monte Carlo. That's a couple years, he's playing better on clay. Now there's no reason you would think he couldn't win that one. And Indian Wells has been a rough tournament for him, but he has made the final. So I mean, it's it's possible. Um, it is possible, and if he and he'll get a shot at both of those before Novak gets another shot at Cincinnati. So if mm, if crazy. if if Andy can get, um, can sort of run the table there and get the, be the first one to become the the grandmaster, as I call it, or you know, to Jokeyman. We didn't even have a Murray equivalent name for it yet, but you know, uh... I love that Andy
1: Murray is not like made for like fun punchy nicknames. Like it's, it's really just not. like
0: Andy Murray. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I I want to say this though, yeah. speaking of
1: Andy Murray, just very randomly. Mm-hmm. If you've never heard Barry Flatman's amazing impression of Andy Murray, please
0: So many of the Brits do good Andy Murray. They do
1: really good Andy Murrays. Neil like Harmon, not in a mean way. Like they Andy just Murray. had like a ama- they just like they get the voice and the it's it's
0: it's they spend a lot of time watching him and like just the like facial features and like tics he does where he like rubs his forehead and press yeah. and things like that. Like yeah. you and I just kind of key in on the like uh, 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 that's yeah. my favorite Andy. It's oh, great. Uh, yeah, no, I'm really excited to be number one in <laughs> London. And it's never been my best tournament, but I think that I can do well here. And I wore a bright blue suit to the draw ceremony, <laughs> so I really popped in the photos, which was great. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's easy. It's, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> it's not the hardest impression to do. <laughs> no.
0: um, yeah, so that's that's uh, Andy Murray. Congratulations to Andy. Uh, on Novak, we mentioned, we got this letter, and I ta- we talked about Novak's slip a couple times, but it's a big story. The sort of angle of it that came out mid-Bercy, which we'd known about a little bit, but which got put in context by a report by another British reporter, I think, first and foremost, was Mike Dixon from Daily Mail. Um, the story on... the growing influence that this oh, i should know his name i don't forget uh, pepe imaz is his name something like that um has in his career being sort of a, a spiritual advisor or a counselor and is a guru of sorts who um seems to be really into the importance of hugs or something <laughs> and who at first who apparently the story is had first sort of uh, been tracked down or been found by Marko Djokovic, who's Novak's younger brother, who was a pro player for a while himself. And his career, I mean, he got a couple of wild cards. We debated into Dubai and things like that a few years ago. Um, There's some pure nepotism, which was obvious and fine. Um, or obvious is obvious, but fine. It's debatable, I guess. We thought it was fine. And uh, Marco uh, found this guru, and now Novak is tra- was in Bercy with number one ranking on the line without either Marion Vida or Boris Becker, his two coaches, but with uh, Mr. Hugs. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. For, I, I know I'm going to, I know I sound very mocking. I don't know that I need to be or, you know, i um, all entirely intend to be. I'm just having a tough time uh, making it sound serious. I, I just think that, I don't know, is, is, is Novak searching, openly searching for these sort of ob- and obvious, uh, alternate methods of, Preparation, hey, a worry. And, I, and actually, before I, before I let you answer, Corinne, let me splice in some audio of Novak uh, with this guy leading a meditation about traffic or something. Um, uh, with in one of these guys' workshops with his brother Marco translating into Spanish. BT dubs. The Djokovic people, family is like the biggest polyglot situation in the world. It's pretty unbelievable. So here is that.
2: Imagine illustration of what's happening in your mind Imagináis que de qué está pasando en vuestras vuestra mente it is like a traffic está como un tráfico on the streets you are in the car en las calles y vosotros estáis en el coche your thoughts your emotions are the cars on the street tus pensamientos tus emociones Son los coches en las calles In most of the situations in your life and todas todas las situaciones en nuestras vidas you are part of that traffic tú eres el parte de ese tráfico And many times you find yourself frustrated muchas veces te encuentras frustrado because of that traffic por ese tráfico There are different cars there is lights hay diferentes coches hay luces too many people muchas perso- mucha gente you're late estás tardando and there is always a reason for you to get nervous y siempre hay una razón para ti para ponerte nervioso but what if for a second you instead of being part of the traffic you si, si you're outside of the traffic on the, on the one hill and you're observing the traffic tú estás, tú estás tráfico, montaña, same kind of process
0: happens in your head. Courtney, what do you make of Novak's current uh, moment?
1: Hey, man, like whatever floats your boat. Right. That's that, I you think. know, that's kind of how I i mean, I don't really feel like making fun of him about it or anything. It's just it's peculiar only because no. it's just not something that we, we're used to necessarily seeing. But at the same time, it, it's I don't think that it's necessarily any different than like Rafa's massive entourage of like people that like, you know, that like overflow his, his, uh, his player box or, um, whatever. I mean, people have people who give them comfort and sometimes that's people that, you know, give them hugs. I don't know. And that sounds like very mocking, but I guess that's kind of, I don't really have a hot take on it. I mean, like, you know, like if that helps him, if he's in a place in his life where he's looking for, for, for that sort of guidance and it helps him and, maybe having marian vita and, and boris in his box it, it's an a- additional stressor as opposed to something that keeps him calm there, there, it could be that i mean i you know it, it you know makes me think back a little bit to like andy murray and you know what he was saying when he decided to to uh hire Amelie moresmo of yeah. like kind of wanting to get away from that very highly testosterone driven macho kind of male-dominated team and having somebody that can like listen to him and at the time it you know I, I remember talking to a few reporters and they said it made him sound soft and it they thought it was super crazy and you know not becoming of a elite sportsman but I totally understand that and same with Novak like if he's going through stuff where he needs like a spiritual advisor good on him for for reaching out.
0: And the thing is like you don't get real substantive breaks for I mean especially with Novak how much he was winning how many matches he had to play he doesn't get a chance to and he could I know I know like McEnroe did this at some point mid-career like took like six months off or something for sort of to find himself um maybe longer than that um you don't get time to really uh to you know find yourself in a a sort of spiritual ways you have to sort of work on the fly and if it means Bringing this this person who you're open to hearing from or anything could have a positive effect on you uh, to Beres Percy, you know that's that's fine. I, I think the the interesting thing about it, and Djokovic is obviously talking frequently about how he um, how he doesn't put pressure on himself. He doesn't feel like he's you know this is a moment for panic or crisis or anything like that. Uh, it's true, but at the same time, like you worry that if you lose your edge in tennis that can be everything. And even if the results the results the kind of sky is falling way we've been talking about Djokovic wouldn't immediately appear on paper. I mean, he right. he did lose um, he lost the query loss was obviously bad. Um, losing to Query third round of How dare you? It just Yeah, lost. it was bad. Sorry. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam loses Vine as a platform for future self-expression. It was just a rough See, time for Once all of again
1: them. Sam Query destroyed a thing. Right? <laughs> he destroyed novak by beating novak and he destroyed vine by winning vine
0: (laughs) yeah pretty much pretty much oh poor sam uh so yeah so novak uh does that and then he goes to olympics loses first round to the dimensional silver medalist in del potro so it doesn't look that bad uh skips and makes the final of the u.s open in the midst of all this which is a great 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 result um makes semis of shanghai which is totally fine I makes quarters of Bercy, which is, you know, a reasonable effort for a top seed making quarters at a masters event happens. So he skipped some things in there that he normally plays like Beijing and Cincinnati, with that. But I don't know. I just I just think that we've seen how delicate uh dominance can be sometimes and how fragile. And um I think someone I don't know, I don't I wasn't around during or wasn't paying attention in the era of tennis. Someone mentioned the uh allegory, it's sort of a Worst case scenario of Jim Courier, who had been like a pretty solidly, you know, top player for the early mid 90s. And then apparently things, his successor sort of stopped immediately, like had a very sudden drop off and never quite got it back. And that was it.
1: Okay. But we talk about this all the time, right? I mean, like, how many times has like Novak gone through a slump or Andy gone through a slump or. Federer or Rafa and somehow they 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 pull it back, you know? I mean, look at Stan and his weird like show up every once in a while and obliterate the field thing like I No, he, not... I, I think I
0: think that's a, I think that's obviously a worse a ridiculously pessimistic worst-case scenario. I don't yeah, I'm not yeah. saying this guy is is that Novak is done on any right. level. I'm just saying again, it goes back to sort of appreciating how how remarkable it was in the first place when I mean, we really everyone took him for granted us included and pretty much everyone included took his reliability for granted that um yeah it, it can be work. never
1: take things for granted people ever in life in tennis all of it is Appreciate that is what it, you have is this our segue i don't know <laughs> it's just a thought just wanted to throw it out there
0: okay i don't know if do we do anything else to say about tennis i don't know that we do How was Singapore? I I'll say that very briefly. We went oh, to Singapore. How was yeah. Singapore?
1: Singapore was great. Um it ended up being a fantastic tournament. Um just you know and and there were you know definitely obviously you know you're stressing out when you don't have a field set <laughs> when the draws happening. Yeah, that uh, was wild. You know, which is which is always a bit frustrating but I mean as it turned out for all of the discussion of like oh you know, these players shouldn't have to play down to the wire and, oh, it just hurts their chances at the tournament and, oh, you know, it's a disaster. It's like, no, it actually, you know, Sabolkova who qualified with a light, late push and to win, winning Linz to do it, wins the tournament. I mean, Sveta was the story of the tournament yeah, up until I mean, the final day. Um, I will say,
0: I, I think that Sveta's having success um, after her great mouse guy run and being able to turn around and do it doesn't mean that the schedule was fine. I still think that it—that was, you know, a remarkable and unexpected thing that she was able to sustain her her energy and her form, playing on opposite sides of the world uh, over, you know, two weeks. That, as I, I don't know, I still think it would I, be good I, to build I, in some break. For at the, the same players.
1: time, I don't know. I I think that we've seen
0: patterns cut off of the race it artificially short. yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, yeah, there are obviously different ways to fix it, and yeah, I'm sure that they probably want to fix it, it, but there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, it's not just a matter of like, hey, we're just going right, to do it this right, way, yeah. um, but which everybody seems really flippant about. But um, you know, but the, but if you look back on it, right, like you have those instances where like players do well, like for example, at the Olympics. And they continue to do well afterwards. And so much of I know for myself, like one of my biggest concerns of this entire season was about the Olympics and about the impact that the Olympics would have on, on the schedule, which is already pretty rough. And, you know, how would players deal with it? And they got to go fly down to Rio and deal with all that and then come back. On the whole, people kind of handled it way better than I thought they were going to um and I thought that was weird like I really wasn't prepared for that um and then we see it again a little you know kind of uh at the at the WTA finals probably not seeing it as much at the W or at the ATP finals because those guys seem tired and Rounich seems to have an injury is that right yeah it's worrisome um but yeah I mean I you know I, whether or not it has like actual impact or not I would love to see like this sounds weird, but, like, data on it. I'm sure that in years past it has had impact, like, those late races. Other times it hasn't. Um, but it's not, like, causal. It's not, like, automatically because somebody qualifies late that they're going to be an absolute disaster. And it's, you know, yeah. cancel the tournament. Um, so, yeah, no. But so the tournament was good. The, the The players were in, like, a really, you know, good mood starting the tournament. And everybody kind of walked away with a win, which is always nice. Um, there were emotions. Um but in the end, I mean, hats off Domi Sipolkova.
0: Hell of a yeah. year. Not, not a win anybody would have seen coming, even once she made it into the field. Um, especially when, not after she lost her first two matches. One in um, 16
1: chance to make the semifinals. Beat Simona Halep in straights. And uh, and she did it. And that second set against Halep was like one of my favorite sets of tennis of the entire year. That was so incredibly stressful. Um, amazing shot making. Super, super gutsy. And, you know, it's it's like such a weird, rare situation where these players know, like, not only do I have to beat you, but I have to beat you in straight sets, which is like, you never, ever have to think that ever yeah. in any other tournament that you ever play. So um, to see her come through on that was really great. And it's been really cool to see, like, Dominika Sobolkova's, like, evolution and maturity over the last couple of years, you know, and um, and just, uh, yeah, was, I was re- I was genuinely happy for her. It was, it was she- an incredible
0: run. She's put in the time and, you know, she's been a a less reliable player than you'd think in terms of results. I mean, she's sort of, she's not somebody who's ever like really on radar to the point where we, you know, say, oh, woe is her for having, you know, occasional first round flame outs at tournaments. Um, But when we do see her, I think everyone's always impressed. And so she's piecing things together more um, steadily. That's good. I mean, she's somebody who's made a grand slam final only two, about three years ago now in Australia, 2014. Um, she's top five now, so she can absolutely be in the mix to win, a. I think, certainly one of the first two slams of next year. She and again, I mean, that she, conversation.
1: Yeah, she made, like, what, six, I want to say six or seven finals this year. Uh, made the final in Madrid, lost to 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 Halep, made the final in Wuhan, lost to a streaking Petra. I mean, you know, like, she was right there. You know, like, a, a match, you know, goes one way or the other, and, and you know, things are a little, looking a little bit different for her, so... um I mean, top five finish. I I really would never have seen that one coming. And, and all credit to her. I mean, total hats off. It, 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 it I don't know. It's a cool story. It's one of my favorite stories of 2016 on the women's side is that she was able to pull everything together after after having surgery last year. So, um, yeah. Go her. But, yeah, Singapore was good.
0: Good. Um, and then you came back to this country. Segway. And I'll just make it very open-ended, first of all. How you doing, Courtney? I didn't ask at the beginning. I can ask now. How has this uh, week been for you? We're recording this on Friday.
1: Yeah, we're recording this on Friday. Um, Well, I got out of bed today, so that was good. That is good. Um, I think the day after, you had texted me and been like, how are you? And I think I was still in bed. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, I am still very much in the processing phase. Of everything, um, this is not uh, where I thought this country would be, you know, a week ago. Um, and there were moments of panic, as Ben knows. I was constantly, every once in a while, like randomly texting him and being like, "Hold on, like we're good, right? Like this isn't gonna happen, right?" Like um, and freaking out. And last minute, it did, and it was a crazy, crazy Tuesday night, just watching it kind of unfold, and to see the the returns come in, and you know that moment when you realize that it's over and this thing that you thought was never going to happen and that couldn't have happened because that that was not the country that you believed in and that you've had faith in throughout your entire life that, that, that it, it turned on you, um, in very meaningful way. And, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's a lonely feeling. It really, really is. And it's, it's, it's hard to kind of even talk about it. Honestly, it really, really hurts. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a hard few days. That's for sure.
0: No, it's been... It's been I mean, we were, we were both in, in London when Brexit happened. And obviously, the sort of parallels are there, especially just in terms of the lead up. And Brexit, I think the polling was much more competitive for Brexit than it was for this election. I think that there was less reason to think. Um, and all the projections. I mean, obviously, 538 was the one that everyone pointed to. And 538 only had Trump as, like, more likely to win for, like, one day in the past uh, six months or five months however everyone they've been doing their daily projections or updating sliding scale whatever and then yeah it, it, it just it, it was something people didn't see coming and it certainly sucks and i think the reason people don't see it coming is the sort of uh you know real polarization of america and the balkanization of it i guess politically um you see these maps where like more and more, I think 60% of Americans live, uh, maybe this is right, I might be botching this, but some huge number of Americans live in a county that was considered like a landslide county this year, uh, where the person, their candidate won with like more than 60% of the vote. And so we're not exposed to the parts that are all Trump and they're not exposed to the parts that were uh, all Hillary. And where in in between the two meet um, can be foggy and uh, and just a sort of odd numbers game and the margins with which he won by were incredibly small in a lot of the swing states. And he just sort of eked out close wins in five states in particular in Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin once uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, especially once that weren't even on radar, I think, for in terms of being swing states. So yeah, so it, it was just something that it takes takes adjusting to, and it can certainly be hugely, hugely distressing and disheartening when you know that um you know all these things that you would think you would assume would have been disqualifying for people uh turned out not to be and it's not it's not so much that trump was this phenomenon that people are making him out to be that he really awakened something maybe he did maybe didn't but his actual numbers were not good at all i mean he got fewer numbers uh in terms of votes than romney or mccain or hillary for that matter um, and I mean, seriously, I mean, he's been like of the last uh, of the last six major party candidates across three elections in terms of votes in Obama twice, Hillary once, McCain, Romney and Trump. He got he comes in sixth out of six. Um, but we yeah, just
1: this idea that he's yeah. got this huge surge of. You know, he awoke something, and he got people to the polls, and that even this idea that this is a referendum, and that there's a majority of Americans that feel this way, the numbers show that that's absolutely not the case. And, and he,
0: he, I think, he did max out among certain demographics, which had I mean, yes. in terms of rural, isolated, uh, white people in in the Rust Belt, he absolutely did sort of, uh, you know, drill deeper into that and get more, uh, to, I don't know, frack more of that vote out of the <laughs> out of the soil than we might have thought was there, and and. And the bottom line was that people just didn't show up and vote for Hillary to, to, to uh, counteract it. And Hillary's numbers were the ones that were way down from Obama's. Right. Um, and so it, that, that, that sucks. And it sucks that people felt uh, – didn't feel compelled to stand up for, you know, people who weren't themselves. You know, I mean, the people who – and I, I don't know who the – who I mean, the demo, the exit polls aren't so, you know, detailed or anything that you know everything But a lot of people, more people, the turnout was lower in this election, which is just shocking to me that this that with the with that choice on the ballot, people could stay home in greater numbers uh, than before. Obviously, that was true. And then the people didn't feel, quote unquote, enthusiastic, especially in like major cities. And ones that I think is fair to note with the polling people with the Electoral College, for those of you in foreign countries who are lucky enough to have a system where, you know, it's whoever gets the most votes wins, which just seems basic. Um, I really do believe that people who, you know, uh, people who live in Milwaukee might not have thought that, you know, Milwaukee's been safely blue. I mean, I think even John Kerry won Milwaukee um, when the Democrats lost in 04. uh, It's been a pretty safely blue state and a more progressive state. Um, They might not have thought that it was necessary for them to, you know, hold their nose and vote for something they weren't thrilled about. Um, And there's a lack of a lack of people taking their medicine. And I'm not saying I mean, I was never someone who was, uh, you know thrilled about you know i know uh courtney you were an actively big hillary fan i wasn't quite there but i was a hundred percent you know <laughs> hoping she would win and would you know you know giddily voted for her to not vote for the other guy just to just even knowing i live in dc and dc voted 92 percent for hillary i think and four percent for trump so he's gonna have fun neighbors when he moves in <laughs> um but yeah i mean it, it's just it just sucks to people and it's and it's a it's a knock on on a complacency and I hope it teaches people that lesson and what you do in the next I mean I hope it teaches people a lesson for midterms and for four years from now how you cope with the time before that is the obviously more immediate issue
1: yeah I mean I think the thing that that is so I mean I mean there's a gazillion things that are frustrating and really heartbreaking about all of it but I think one thing that got lost in a lot of the rhetoric surrounding the the campaigns and and the election and the lead up is that somehow that this was politics as usual that normalizing of it yeah and 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 that really is what and and it continues to this day you know post-election that that all of a sudden i was watching mistakenly cnn for a little while yesterday and you know when 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 trump went down to the white house and you know, just the normalcy of it all. Anderson Cooper sitting there and saying, let's be fair, you know, let's give him credit for the first 36 hours he's been president-elect. He couldn't have handled this any better. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? The slate doesn't get wiped clean. The slate never got wiped clean in the first place in the the elections, in the primaries. He never, ever should have gotten out of the Republican primary. That was a failure of their own party. He never, ever, ever should have been able to keep it as close as he did and, and swing the states that he did. You know, in the general election, it's beyond me that there whenever I talk to people who did vote for him or you know or just who just voted the ticket um because they were Republicans, it's like, "Oh, well, that's what we do, and it's like, no, but this wasn't politics as usual i mean and this is maybe what on some level Democrats get for demonizing George W. Bush, demonizing a Romney, demonizing a McCain when you cry wolf so many times and you say everybody's the devil, then when the devil comes along, nobody believes you. Everybody just thinks that you're just being a whiny liberal again. And it's like, this was a completely different situation. And I think I've said this before, like when the campaign has come up on the podcast, and Ben has mentioned this to me, you know, a couple of times. I've never been more engaged in, a, in, a, in an election than this one. Mm-hmm. and it wasn't because i was super pro hillary and it wasn't because i was invigorated and things like that it was because i saw that guy and i said no freaking way the this the office of the presidency it, it, that is the highest office in the not the land the world it's the leader of the free world and you know hunt you know people who voted for him just didn't care they don't care about the presidency they don't care what that office does and the power that it wields and what it means to not just America but to the world. And they don't care about the people who spent you know years just crying out and saying please help protect protect us.
0: Yeah. And and, and, and they it, said no. And it's just it's just it's just this it's this yeah, it's this sort of odd yeah, I think someone I think it was Chris Matthews or something said it was like the death of meritocracy or something. It was this like idea that who's more deserving and who's the better person doesn't matter somehow and who's more qualified no longer matters and who's everything like that is just not on the table. And it's it's just it's frustrating as somebody who, you know, has you know, sees what this does to people and sees how affected people are by it because as much as you want to normalize and say, Well, he we gets a fresh start, whatever, his he's already had enormous, enormously damaging impact on people and on the country. My sister is a teacher in East Boston. And she has a student base that's like 85% or so Latino. And they are all, you know, first of all, she said they were, they were just all just, you know, devastated and, and freaked out and and just thinks the entire country are, are against them. And she made some comment in the midst of class that, you know, that she had voted for Hillary. And they were all, apparently a lot of them were like immediately taken aback. Because they, and this is not to get all, you know, hashtag not all white people or whatever. But they felt like, you know, white people were um that their people who, you know, look didn't look like them didn't want them here. And that, that was just the message of this election sent and with the poll showing how he won this election on the basis of white people, men and women, which I think is again stunning. So it's 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 a time to just so sort of go out and be all this all this inevitably but sad and empowered hate crimes and things like that that happen. It's just it's important to go out and do as much as you can to sort of counteract it and let people know through whatever ways um, you can that uh, they are accepted here and wanted here and necessary here and loved here and things like that because uh, there are certainly alternate signals and alternate signs that were validated through this uh, result. And it's the same thing with Brexit. It's the same thing happening in a lot of the world, and it's just a sort of sad loss of of a lot of progress that humanity had made towards bettering itself it's a direct shot at that at you know decency and progress and evolution and things like that of our society so yeah yeah, it yeah,
1: it, it fully sucks and i and i will say that like you know one of my friends on facebook was kind of saying you know like everybody's processing and everybody's mad and everybody no one knows what to do with it and You know, which is definitely kind of where I am at the moment. And I know that I will get to a place where the emotions are less raw, you know, and I can function through the day Mm -hmm. (laughs) without breaking out in tears. But um, until that time goes, like he was saying, you know, it's important for us to remember what this feels like and, and to take the moment and, you know, screen grab your tweets, screen grab your Facebook posts that are expressing your outrage and disillusion and... Shock um, and use that as fuel. And, And when, because there will be forces that try to, again, normalize this. There will be forces that tell you, you know, they're already talking about, well, this is who Trump has nominated for, you know, his transition team. And it's like, this is not normal. I'm not going to treat this as normal. You cannot use the same rhetoric that you've used in the past to discuss transitions to apply to this situation because it's not that. And there, and But it's going to be very easy to be lulled into that sense. And we all, you know, many of us live in communities where it might be easy to especially become detached from the way that we feel right now or detached from the pain that our neighbors and our friends and our families are feeling. Especially, I mean, I think about it myself. Like I was seeing today that they're like organizing this like Million Woman March in Washington, D.C. the day after the inauguration in January. And I'm like, I'm in Australia If not, I would actually, like, book that now. I would go and I would march. But I have a job to do. And most half over half of the time of the year, I am not in physically my community. I'm elsewhere. And I know that when I'm overseas, I don't really pay attention as much. And I get into my own world and things like that. And so, you know, I've kind of tried to make a habit of that, of trying to, like, make sure that I remember what this feels like right now. So that in those moments where it's easy to get complacent and easy to, to feel like... Things are normal in the next four years or God forbid, eight years that, you know, you don't fall into that trap, you know, and kind of get anesthetized and thinking that this is just how the world is now. It it isn't and it shouldn't be. And Ben actually said something yesterday that really like hit home and hit hard for me and actually kind of helped me, you know, move at least a few notches forward in kind of how I was processing things of like, you know, kind of what has hurt so much for me and I know for a lot of my friends and a lot of people who have like reached out to me to kind of talk it through is there's kind of this sense of like, we thought we were better than this on some level that the American exceptionalism, the the grand experiment, that all the things that make America wonderful, were going to save it from its worst instincts, you know, diversity and, and empowerment and um, you know, love and generosity and goodness. And, you know, when that vote came down on Tuesday, all that I kept thinking was, like, we're not better than this. Like, this is us. And Ben kind of reminded me, you know, like, she did win the popular vote. More people voted for her than voted for Trump. We are better than this. It's just the fact that, like, we didn't think we had to be. That people stayed home. We
0: didn't think it was close, yeah.
1: Right. People people stayed home because they didn't think that they had to go and march out there and get that vote in and, and do what was right. And, but... So, you know, those are the kind of the two things I would just kind of leave with is just like, stay angry. If you're angry, you know, if you're sad, feel the sadness, feel where it's at. And then, and then we move forward, but, but you're not alone. Um, my inbox has been filled with people kind of just like reaching out and I mean, tennis players reaching out and being like, what do we do? You know, and kind of talking to people and, and, um, but, uh, but yeah, make Thanksgiving awkward, make Christmas awkward. <laughs> you know be angry stay awake it's... stay
0: awake i mean don't get you know right as much as you can stay angry and you can sort of wallow for now that's that's healthy that's something that's you know reparative and, and can help you you know heal but at the same time you know once certainly you know leading up to inauguration certainly after it if you want to you know be the difference and stay awake and if you know stay vigilant of things and stay, you know, it's easy, it, it's going to be as the normal, the normalization is inevitable. As he starts getting addressed formally, you know, moves really into bad. the White House and starts getting addressed correctly as President uh, Trump, what a bizarre phrase. Um, it's, you know, he will, by definition, things will normalize, you know, they'll be, we'll see what happens. But, you know, he might have the Chicago Cubs going to visit the White House with President Trump. And it's just sort of, you know, whatever, you know, just gonna be like, he's the guy just in that chair at the moment. Um, but you can stay. Uh, awake and keep him checked and you know we don't i'm not not saying that you know people should relax but we just don't know what this is going to be because this is a a guy who um is not a republican not a has has shown no real like firm beliefs about anything he
1: doesn't have any conviction he
0: he does have no conviction so on the uh, bizarrely that could be theoretically encouraging if you think if you think it meant, meant he means he meant nothing that he said during the campaign God hope that's right, but I mean, I don't think it's probably you know actually going to happen that way. But we don't we don't know. It's going to be a bizarre, chaotic time, and uh, hopefully it'll be over and resoundingly over in uh, in four years. But we'll see. uh, We'll see. We'll get we'll get we'll get through it as people. It's just it just is another like we said with Brexit. It's just making things unnecessarily harder for us in a way um, and unpleasant and, and awful for a lot of people in a way that was not that was avoidable. And, um, and you, you mentioned the joke, they mentioned the polls earlier. <laughs> I really, I really do think that again, that maybe like with Brexit, oh, well, Brexit, there didn't seem to be turnout issues, but with this one there definitely didn't seem to be turnout issues. Um, I, I think that the polls really did lull people into a sort of safe and sort of a sense of um, a safe sense of complacency about it. Because like, I mean, it really was like all the polls throughout the entire election, never really indicated that Trump could win like Wisconsin. And Michigan. Those were just not on the table and the polling was flat out bad. And um yeah, and people got blindsided by it. So we'll we'll learn from that in twenty seven in twenty twenty, hopefully. And uh yeah, be, be but, vigilant yeah, yeah. for whoever I mean, it is.
1: And I, and I and I will just add kind of this note, which is just, you know, it's not about partisan politics. Again, this is kinda of like my point from the beginning. It's just like this wasn't a part of this. I, I was engaged in this election, not because I'm a fervent Democrat. Trust me. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I was engaged because this was about decency and it was about the country that I want to live in. And it's about the person who sits at the head of that country being able to po- tell your nieces or your nephews or your kids, hey, like that is a position that you should aspire to and to do that, you know, work hard, be good you know, serve people, you know, like do, do good. And that's what motivated me. So like going forward, it's just about decency. Doesn't matter what you're registered as. Doesn't matter even at this point, which way you voted, but like be for decency. That's all.
0: That's a, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good platform to stick by. It's, it's a rough, uh, a clear, resounding defeat for that here this year which is uh disheartening and ridiculous but i I have to think i have to hope that decency can be uh resilient i feel like people will miss decency very quickly i feel like that's something people will be like hey you know what i liked when everything wasn't awful that was nice that was go back to that and nostalgia (laughs) and with that um we good we good all right thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of no challenges remaining If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening to us, have our uh, feelings and sadness, you can find us generally more chipper on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. coordinates at four reduced twists. I'm at Ben Rothenberg. You can email us your thoughts. We've got a couple of emails already about the election. If you want to weigh in or just get stuff off your chest about that or anything else, feel free to agree or disagree with us. We're happy to hear from everybody. Uh, No challenges remaining at Gmail com For all thoughts there, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and other podcasting uh, mechanisms of your choice and get episodes delivered automatically that way. Uh, executive producers of No Challenges Remaining are Pancho Rosendis of TennisBalls.com and Tao Woolley. Uh, I guess that'll probably do it for us. So that was our rant. Do you have other additional rants or that's enough? Up to you. Thought. Can do either way. I got... I, I have... Very little else. I don't know. I, I I drew an election map on my window with the uh, dry erase markers, and they came right off. Was that off. wait? Yeah. Is
1: that the stuff, Was that what you were posting? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was somebody else's. No, 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 That, was mine. that was mine. I was like, oh, that's really creepy that you're like staring at no.
0: somebody else's window. <laughs> no, those are mine. So I'll just say that it nice. was uh, it was fun, and it was a you know therapeutic to have coloring to do during the whole time. So um, I will give a brief endorsement for for uh, dry erase markers. They come right off. They're magic.
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. Mm. I will do a quick endorse of alcohol. Just kidding. <laughs> Although it did help because, to be the, quite frank... The I cause of a solution to all these problems. Yeah. Right? Once I realized that, 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 that um, Michigan was gone, I like... I think I did like... I drank two huge cups of whiskey and went to sleep. I was like, nope, I'm done. Mm. So that was pretty good. But um, aside and apart from that... Um, I'm going to give a rant for my new standing desk. Oh, yeah. You got that. Yeah. Which um, was part of my stress retail therapy, uh, which was going on before the election. So you can imagine. Thank God I spent the money then because don't really have any to spend. Although,
0: now. weirdly, knock on wood, the dollar has not plummeted like the pound did after Brexit, which actually shocks true. me. This yeah. is true.
1: Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I got a standing desk. I got the Jarvis standing desk, which was recommended by Wirecutter and it took a really long time to put it together but for 750 bucks it's pretty dope and 750 bucks is not a lot of money to spend on a desk let alone one that is a mechanical thing that like rises and goes down and stuff like that but yeah so far so good it's quite nice to have the option of like you know, crying while sitting and crying while standing. It's good. It's good for circulation and
0: flow. Did you ever watch that? There see that old website um, that was like fairly. Crying decently? while eating. Crying while eating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I loved crying while eating.
1: It was. It was like one of the early Tumblr's, I think. That like kind yeah, of cut through. It was like
0: pre. It was like like pre, maybe actually pre like actual Tumblr. I don't know who was actually on Tumblr, but it was like of those. Yeah, of that mold before youtube even and just like yeah. crude videos great. of people and it would be like different It'd Be like, like, click on this link for grilled cheese and click on this one for tomato <laughs> soup it would just be like find the different food there and there's some really really bizarre foods on there too so i wonder if, i wonder if crying while eating still exists so that would be uh i really i remember really liking the one that was this one this woman eating tomato soup with like sesame seeds and she would always pause to sprinkle more seeds <laughs> off <on> the side <laughs> It was great. That's tremendous. So go cry while eat or go smile while eat or do whatever you want. Just remember to keep feeding yourself, people. Food's good. Food is good. And with that, we'll see you next time. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye. God. Trouble that she's in. Wash her pretty face, dry her eyes, and then God bless America again. You know,
2: I wish God would bless America again. Like he did way back there when it all began. He blessed her then, but we sort of took it for granted and didn't ask again. So let's just kind of hold her hand now, that's all. In case she stumbles, let's don't let her fall.